Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I sat down with Adam Burlett to talk about the new gallery and studio space, Blockford, that he is opening this month alongside his wife, Megan. Besides the space, we talked a lot about what it takes to build a community around your work, the middle step in the Columbus art scene, the business of art, and Adam gave a rundown of the tenants at Blockfort. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Adam Burlett on the occasion of the upcoming grand opening of Blockfort venue. Adam, sort of give us the elevator speech of what is Blockfort. Uh, Blackfort's a shared studio and gallery, and we'll have both exhibitions, and we have uh, workspace for both artists and business tenants. Okay. It's 16 spaces on the first floor, plus the gallery. You're currently doing, you just gave me the tour, you're doing some build-out in the basement for not a proper shared working space, but... It's a uh, shared office. It's a shared office. Are you totally full up here on the first floor? Yes. So okay. we have 22 artists working out of 16 spaces. Um, both gallery spaces are... Uh, starting to book up. We have the main gallery booked up for the next year. The back space is starting to fill up with uh, smaller exhibitions. And then the basement space, we're in talks with people to move into the shared office, and we're currently in the process of renovating that. Great. And you will be revealing your schedule for upcoming exhibitions shortly before the grand opening. Sure. Talk about sort of how this space came to be. Sure. I mean, the the simple way of putting it is that Taco Cat was going away, okay. um, a former and space that I, I was part of, mm-hmm. and we had to find a new home. And after 12 years of working with uh, buildings owned by NRI, it kind of made sense for us to go and try to find a new landlord and a new, you know, a new way to operate. And NRI, Nationwide Realty Investors. Correct. And we'll get into the sort of past experiences that you've had, but you were at two different spaces that are now being taken over by the slowly expanding Grandview Yard. Both uh, both of those spaces are now gone. Right. Completely demolished. So um, we knew early on in some of that process that the buildings wouldn't be there for forever. And we've kind of, we at that time we accepted the sort of transient life of uh, art spaces but I imagine if you know that you're not going to be able to be there for more than five years one you're never going to get locked into a lease that's more than five years yeah. and two the prices is, is going to be a little bit more right yeah uh, but unfortunately it also means that you don't take as much time and effort into investing to make the space more intentional more, more finished uh, more safe um, you know, you're, you know that you're only there for a short while, so why invest in something that you're not going to be there, you know, long term? So with a building like this, it allows us a little bit more opportunity to, to come in and be intentional and think about how do we make this a space that we can be at for the next 10 years easily and, you know, and just make an impact and be an anchor and be a steady presence in the art community. Um, I, I think that's kind of needed around town right now. Absolutely. And so Blockfort is located at 162 North 6th Street, right around the corner from Roosevelt Coffee, for those that are familiar with downtown. And you live in this space. You actually, you and your wife moved in uh, end of August last year. Correct. The room above the gallery was zoned for an apartment. So um, when we came in... Oh, was, so you didn't have to... 
no, get that redone. We didn't have to change it. We we had to decorate basically, okay, update and make sure the things look nice and that we had the amenities that we needed. But yeah, it was already zoned as an apartment, and people people had previously lived there. Now, and what was this building before? It was a Napa Auto Parts. Someone uh, was living above a Napa Auto Parts store. Uh, it was the office for Napa Auto Parts when it was uh, when it was open, but. Okay. Um, before that, there was sort of a period where that Napa was gone and okay. people were living upstairs. Before that, it was the Napa office. And before it was Napa Auto Parts, it was a Brinks um, security. So okay. they uh, had a big safe in the back that is now uh, Stinky Bomb Soap's studio. Okay. <laughs> so Talk about what people can expect at the grand opening on February 25th. Sure. I, you know, at the grand opening, basically, it's just an introduction to What's different here than the previous spaces that we've run? How, how are we handling the space different? You know, you'll get the experience of walking in the front door and coming into a gallery rather than at Taco Cat or Junction View where you walk in and you walk into a hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's small changes like that that are, were kind of... And was that mindful or is the space sort of lend itself to that? Uh, we found a space that was... We mindfully chose to do that, but we found a space that would allow us to do that. Got and it. In the intentionality of creating a space, we're trying to increase the quality of the environment that the artists are working in and that the public gets to experience when they come in. So as you go through the building, you'll see notable differences between what a taco cat or a junction view was to what this building was, because we're asking the artists to create the environment that they're in. So by creating sort of vignettes next to their door that represent them as artists and the hallways, instead of looking like blank warehouse hallways, instead look like, for lack of a better way of saying it, almost like a mall. You get a flavor of each store as you walk through the, the corridors. Um, we're creating lounge spaces. There'll be skylights eventually put on the roof in the spring. Um, we have uh, a secondary gallery space in the back that helps draw people through the building. Um, even things, simple things that you don't really think about when you go to a space, like how nice is the bathroom? We have you know brand new bathrooms that you know are nice and functioning. In old and spaces, it's not just like a mop bucket in the corner that's right. still full of water from two weeks ago, <laughs> right? And it's not it's not like an old warehouse bathroom. It's it's a nice intentional space. Really, the the twenty fifth will be an opportunity for the public to come and see like how is this different than other art spaces? How are we trying to take a step up and separate ourselves from um, what some of the other art spaces and what is the the offering that we're going to provide and how do we. Uh, intend to partner with other art spaces in town. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? You're here to serve your clients. Your clients are the artists that are renting the spaces from you. You know, what's that balance of being a public space and being a a space that's there to serve your clients? Yeah, I, I look at it as the primary goal is to serve our tenants. Okay. Um, however, the tenants benefit from having public interaction. So, if you're an artist and you're selling things, um, you know the idea would be, okay, get your artwork up in front of as many people as you possibly can. Well, that's not going to happen if you just constantly are showing your work in the same gallery or in your same studio. So right. having a show that invites other members of the art community to show on our gallery walls brings different audiences through, allows our artists to get more exposure, creates connections between artists that aren't in the building and the artists that are in the building. And it becomes a, hey, you know, we help you out with a show at our space. How can you help somebody from our space out with a show somewhere else? And those connections and partnerships are really important in the art community. And, you know, we get asked all the time, like, oh, are you a competitor of 400 West Rich or Vanderelli Room or Mint Gallery or something like that? And the mm-hmm. answer is no. We're, one, there's not enough room in the Columbus art scene to be competitive like that. Nobody's out to get anybody else. Right. Everybody's offering something different. And, 
you know, I get excited when I start talking to people that are representing 934 Gallery and we're talking about doing openings on the same night and saying like, hey, how do we get people to go to both locations? Right. Do, do we make a shared map? How do we get uh, people to go over to Franklinton Fridays and the Vanderelli Room in 400? How do we also politely descri- describe what the difference is between what an artist at Millworks or, or Mint Gallery might be making versus what an artist at Blockfort might be making? Um, the types of shows that we have, like we have very intentionally set out to be a middle step that I think is missing in Columbus. Okay. Um, historically in the short North, there were many galleries that people used as stepping stones to further their career. A lot of those middle galleries left. Some of the upper level galleries have remained. And then, you know, with Junction View and Taco Cat and, and 400 Westrich and Mint Gallery, like warehouse shows have become sort of a prevalent theme. Right. Well, a lot of people that are from the and you would and not in a disparaging way but that is a low level show that is sort of a anybody can submit and theoretically get approved to be in it yes depending on the show like so it it is the populist view of art i I won't say it's a low level show because that denotes that it's of lesser quality Mm -hmm. but a populist view is that yes everybody that makes art should be able to show art and and that that's an important part of the art community in Columbus. Our, our community, I mean, through Junction View and Agora and, you know, previous things really showed that we have a wide variety of artists. We have a breadth of people doing interesting things. But as that short north diminishing happened, a lot of those stepping stone galleries that helped artists that have been making great work and have a consistent body of work, how do they get to the next step of being able to show in an art center or a museum or, a, or a, you know, a big name gallery somewhere? Well, and some of that's getting representation as well. Right. And so it's getting exposure to those people that may want to represent them. Right. So where somebody like myself making my artwork, I had the fortune of showing with Jackie Mahan at the Mahan Gallery and I built a a reputation having shows in, in her space. And, um, you know, that led to a lot of the buyers and a lot of the, you know, the upward mobility I had as an artist. Mm-hmm. Well, we're hoping that this space, the, the Blockfort gallery ends up becoming a stepping stone where we're hunting down artists that we think have made consistent quality work and have shown in dozens and dozens of warehouses or, you know, have great Instagram accounts or whatever. But, they need that next step where they can have a solo show that shows their work like as a body, just their work. And that we as a gallery do the work that it takes to help promote and sell that work. So a lot of galleries that are on the, you know, that sort of populist level, Mm -hmm. they'll they'll hang it, but you're responsible for promoting and, or, or they're doing promotion, but they're doing promotion to their same crowd. Right. We're trying to very intentionally make sure that we access people that may not normally go to a warehouse for a show and bring them into a space that feels more like a, a proper gallery and introduce them to the work of people that maybe haven't had that kind of exposure. And, and so we're trying to be conscious of, not just the artists that we're serving, but also the the public that we're serving in terms of buyers, mm-hmm. making sure that we're making good connections. So if a company comes and says, I'm looking for an artist to decorate my walls, do you know anybody that works in this style or this medium, that we're making good recommendations that lead to um, solid connections. And uh, hopefully that will position us in a place where we are identified as respectable, mm-hmm. respectable group of artists, a respectable gallery dealer. And then as the, the upper level galleries, you know, the Brant Roberts and the Hammond Harkins galleries are looking for new artists, hopefully that they can stop at a place like what we're doing and say, hey, I would like to represent one of these artists. Mm-hmm. And, and we kind of reconnect that middle step 
where we're not going to represent people, we're not going to have people sign contracts, but those artists that are seeking that kind of representation have a vehicle to get there. How do you manage all of that? Because you're managing, first of all, you you have a studio space here with Little Industries, formerly called Little Red Men, and then you're also essentially a landlord to Mm. the 16 people also trying to fill out the space in the basement and also managing a gallery calendar. And this is your home. Yes. How do you... How many hats are you wearing? (laughs) I have no idea. Okay. After, after, like, I actually feel right now like I'm more focused on the things that are good for me and the community that I serve than ever before. Okay. Um, And I've always been a person that... And by the way, longtime listeners of the Confluence cast will remember you're actually the first person to be on the Confluence cast twice, (laughs) Uh, but you were a founder of Independence Day as well. Yes. So how do you feel about where you're at right now? Yeah, I I mean, I feel good because I feel like for many years now, I've kind of just done anything I can to help artists, help the art community, promote the art community. And over the last like maybe year or so, especially with Taco Cat having to go away, Mm -hmm. I started thinking like, what could I do that would be hyper-focused on how I can benefit people? What, What is... I tried to identify what are the needs in the Columbus art community that like I can really focus on and serve and independence day has been that. I mean, I think that festival has helped given the city an identity. It's built a great team of people that work together. Everybody that's on that board and uh, that works in that organization dedicates a lot of time and energy to making just to make Columbus better. Mm -hmm. And so here I am at 36 years old saying like, okay, I've done this now since I was 21 I've mm-hmm. been running spaces you know how do I now instead um, focus on something that I think that maybe for the next 10 years between now and when I'm 45 or whatever okay how can I really make an impact for myself as an artist for um, the artists that I've been working with for a long time how can we really get everybody to the next step you know going from a, a giant warehouse with you know dozens of artists and uh, you know giant shows into something that's more hyper focused uh, in a way I feel sometimes hyper-focused like, in that you have control over it. Uh, yes. And, and that I know the quality of all the people that I'm working with. I okay. mean, these are people and you have I, control over who those people are. Yes. Okay. That is, that is a part of it. And, uh, you know, there's sort of a fine line between being dictatorial and, and, you know, overlordy and, right. and actually curating a, a decent collection of people that you trust that do good work and that are going to show up and be in the space. Well, um, and are a good mix of diversity of, of type of work yes, as well. Yeah, I mean, as yeah. you said at the beginning, they are both artists and businesses. Yeah. And I love being able to run through that list of like, you know, we've got painters and sculptors and illustrators and, but we've got jewelers and printmakers and uh, screen printers and mold makers and soap makers and designers and event planners and all those things in the building end up creating that intentional system of, you know, if somebody's uh, running an event, they can walk down the hall and find an illustrator to design the flyer and they can find somebody to print shirts for the event and they can rent PA speakers from uh, one of the other spaces. And, it's sort of a built-in system that feeds on each other. It's all the connections that you need, like in close proximity. Mm-hmm. And if those needs are not in the building, then somebody in the building has those connections. Right. And, and there's also things like diversity of age, diversity of uh, social experiences, diversity of race, diversity of sexual preference, like all those sorts of diversities. Like we're trying to be very intentional in that as we're 
at say a junction view, it was just like whoever, whoever signed up on the waiting list and could right. pay rent. And I don't think that what we're doing here is like scripting the society to be like the Burger King kids club. But at the same time, there is some advantage to having like uh, a little bit of uh, difference in the conversations that you end up having with the artists or the experience that those artists bring. Let's take this opportunity to sort of step back from Blockfort and talk about how we got here. You were saying, I think before we were recording that you had been throwing some punk rock shows like back in 99. Where'd you grow up? Uh, like, Trick question. I grew up in the Chicago area. Okay. Went to high school in the Cleveland area. Came here to go to CCAD okay. in 1998. And so you were playing in punk bands, and that's how you ended up organizing yeah. some of those shows. Yeah, I had some friends that moved uh, to Columbus with me my sophomore year of school, and then we started started a band, started playing, and we were having fun. And it was mostly in DIY spaces, basements, and you know, back room garage, you know, garage shows and stuff like that. And we were putting out records and, you know, traveling around the country in a van playing music. But we ended up uh, getting a space largely because we needed a place to practice. But okay. then it was a big enough space that we found uh, on, down on Whittier and Parsons, uh, which at the time was really bad. Um, right. And we lived in German Village area and would walk over and have bands stay at our place. And, and then they'd come over and play shows. And. Um, there were a whole collection of people that were involved, uh, you know, some really great bands from the the late 90s, early 2000s that kind of teamed up and um, had different genres of music. And there were 13 of us that ran it. So it was called the Edition 13. Okay. Um, and a lot of those people still remain friends and are doing great work in town. I mean, you people that you see all over the place, you know, Adam Lowe's a photographer and, you know, does all kinds of work. And he just happens to be a good musician that was interested in organizing things back then um there there's you know a dozen more people okay that was kind of my first foray into like hey i can put something together yeah and and i can work with people and i can you know organize something and it, it felt it felt good to use my skills and abilities both organizationally as an artist as a uh, as a designer, as an event planner, to like put together something that really didn't have to do with money. It had to do with like culture and how you feel about a, a space or a place or a living in a city. And I really liked that environment. I liked having bands stay on my couch and then making them spaghetti and then we right. would go skateboarding and you know it, stuff like that was fun. Then it came to Junction View, mm-hmm. um, which was actually there was probably about a five year period in there where. I had gotten out of college in 2002. Um, I worked various jobs, working as an event planner, a visual merchandiser, worked at a commercial art company. I traveled around a lot for some of the work that I was doing. Okay. Um, was kind of disconnected, still making my artwork, still showing work in galleries, but I was kind of disconnected from the art school community. And I was also one of the kind of artists that decided that grad school wasn't a thing for me. I took out a lot of loans to go to undergrad. Um, I got a second degree and a, a teaching certi- uh, certificate after I graduated, and I had student loans from all that. But I felt like I needed that community. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was on the I was just a volunteer with the Ohio Art League, which I ended up staying with for about 14 years, and I worked my way from volunteer up to board chair and ran the organization for two years. Mm-hmm. During that time, uh, I was running a community critique um, that I just a friend of mine that used to live with me, Greg Davis and I started like having critiques in our house, uh, like right after I got out of college 
and uh, and they were fun. So then we moved into the Ohio Art League Gallery, and that's where I met Mike Reed, who basically said, "Hey, I I found this warehouse that there's a few artists in, and you know." Somebody had started it and started running it, but there was no real leadership there. And there well, was and it no, wasn't fully utilized. No, it right. was like 10% occupancy in the building. And so Mike said, why don't we, you know, why don't you come on over and have a studio at this place? I'd love to have you. And then he and I started talking and we ended up gathering up a group of people that be, eventually became the Couchfire Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, Couchfire Collective kind of said like, hey, let's all just move in and take studios in the same part of the building. You guys were in like one wing. Right. And to be clear, Couchfire Collective was, a, again, a group that all sort of went into Junction View at the same time. Right. It was a separate artist collective. Right. And it, and it grew and it evolved over time where we started adding people that weren't even in the building that okay. added different skills. But the, the whole part of Couchfire Collective was... How do we take this group mentality and work? Everybody, if everybody does a little bit of work and we put on an event or sort of like. Because uh, that is the group that put on Agora. Correct. Okay. And we always thought of it as like uh, sort of live action social media where like if everybody invites five friends to a show and there's 20 of us, that means we have 100 people. Mm-hmm. And if those five friends invite five friends, then we end up having, you know, a lot of people. Right. And, and so when when we started the first Agora, I mean, it was like, hey, let's just have a show. And we had. 50 pieces of artwork and 300 people showed up and you know, it was fun. Mm -hmm. And then we said, let's do it again. And every year we did it again and again and again until it got to the point where the 22,000 square foot building we were in at Junction View Studios was sort of maxed out. And not only were people paying attention to what was going on in terms of shows, but the studio started filling up. And then the owner of the building said, hey, we kind of need a manager for this. And Mike and I kind of co-managed for a while. Because um, they were all individually paying their rent to the actual landlord? Correct. Okay. And there, but there was no like, there was no community builder. It was just everybody, it was like paying for storage spaces. Everybody right. just- Well, not a whole lot of rules too. Right. Right. And then it got to be, you know, you got 80 people in a building and- you know, two bathrooms and nobody's paying attention to when things are getting cleaned or, you know, how shows are being run or used. How we're and, using the common space. And so, you know, Mike and I kind of co-ran these meetings that we would just have once a month meetings. And, you know, a lot of people that were at Junction View remember the ridiculousness of sitting in this common space, all with a circle of chairs that we would pull in. And sometimes it was everybody bitching about something. And sometimes it was everybody planning for a show. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes it was exciting. Sometimes it was tense. Sometimes it was nerve wracking. Sometimes you were angry. Sometimes right. you were, you know, happy for somebody for some reason or another. We would all show up to shows. If somebody had a show in a gallery in the short north, like, you basically had a built-in team of everybody from Junction View would show up. Whether you liked everybody or not wasn't important. You had like a family that you were part of. Okay. And after a while, it got to be that the system of order needed to be even more in place where uh, Couch Fire Collective started paying for internet at the building, which okay. the landlord didn't provide. Um, so then people had to provide uh, a portion like I think it was like everybody paid five dollars every three months for internet okay somebody had to manage that and so I was doing that all those things started growing to a certain point and um, Mike eventually decided to move on and uh, and was well because it's down to also is there toilet paper who's taking care of that yeah and and right around the time that Mike left was when NRI ended up purchasing the building from a different landlord. Okay. And when NRI took over, it was really tense because we thought that they were just going to kick us out. And myself and a few other people went in and we basically negotiated like business people with NRI and said, how can we stay here? If you don't have plans to tear the building down, what would it take for us to 
standardized rents to make sure that the building is up to fire safety because NRI is very specific about making sure that their buildings are well taken care of. Right. Even um, if they're going to tear them down in five years. Yeah. And they, and for the first part of um, NRI being landlords at Junction View, especially they were very gracious. Um, uh, A guy named Chris Dale who worked for NRI and another guy named Matt Starr who now works for Crawford Hoying um, were smart enough to say like, Hey, we could, basically cover our overhead for owning the building let people be here right um if we provide them with basic amenities artists don't require much right what were the other big changes that you had to go through in order to sort of facilitate that and make that happen with the biggest the two biggest things were all of the lease agreements changed okay Um, so there we standardized a price for Square for the space for square footage. Okay. Before that, it was just whatever the previous landlord wanted to charge for a space, and some people were paying a dollar forty a square foot, and some people were paying twenty cents a square foot, and it didn't make any sense. Okay. So we rearranged all that, um, and then the other big change was the the fire safety and and actual updates to the building. They were kind enough when they when they took over, they put track lights through the whole building, they fixed up the bathrooms, made sure the toilets worked. Um, you know, made sure all the locks on the doors had push bars and really kind of fixed the space up. And then mm-hmm. they, because it was in Grandview Yard, they started doing things like sending plows over and we had a janitor that would show up um, that was, you know, taking care of Grandview Yard buildings. But Just technically so, you were also part of Grandview Yard right. at that point, and we, right? And we were, you know, the redheaded stepchildren of... So you were standardized the lease. I want to get into a little bit of a conversation about structure of organizations. Were they paying rent to you and then you were paying NRI? No, I ended up with my agreement working. So I got a discount on my rent for helping organize and manage the building. Okay. So if somebody wasn't paying rent and NRI was telling them to leave the building, which they dealt with all the finances. Nobody ever paid me. Okay. I never received any checks or anything like that. Got it. But if NRI decided that they were going to need to Evict have somebody someone. leave, I was responsible for interviewing and finding the next person. And, and we built like a team of people from the building that would like interview if somebody was coming in. So it wasn't just the wait, the next person on the wait list, basically. Correct. It okay. was, we did a lot of best fit. And, and a lot of times people in the building had the first opportunity to switch spaces. So somebody may get in with a small space and graduate to a larger space. Different artists and tenants had different needs. So that was really when I started learning like, What's the difference between somebody that's just painting in a studio versus somebody that's uh, like doing wood turning and okay. has like heavy equipment? And so learning to manage those nuances, learning to deal with the social aspects of people not liking each other or uh, trying to put on a show with a bunch of people who are all have various ideas of what they want to do. And I'd like to think that I do well with that, like okay. just understanding people's personalities and trying to find a common ground. I know... You know, there's probably a fair share of people that think I'm a dictator and that, you know, I was commander of everything. And but I think I did a fair share of listening. Yeah. And in short, I think a lot of times it's you sort of say, well, I was the guy that stepped up and, you know, I would love help. I'm inuring some benefit from this, but not enough to for this all to be worth it. Right. And and that kind of plays into the the lineage of these buildings. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, by the time Junction View was coming down, there was a, a big pushback right when. Junction View, when NRI announced that they were going to take the Junction View building down, mm-hmm. um, they gave us plenty of notice. Um, they, you had like a year and a half or something, right? Uh, it was about six months oh, that they okay. gave us. And they said, hey, we know that you guys are operating. There's a lot of people in the building. You're all going to be displaced. Like, how do we make this a like a peaceful transition? And mm-hmm. I tried my best to work with NRI to make sure that 
people were responsible when they're leaving, that they weren't just leaving piles of junk and stuff like that. We had our last Agora, so we did 10 of them um, mm-hmm. over the course of seven years. That 10th one was like a great celebration of like, hey, we this did, is what we did here. Yeah, we did awesome work here. And I still get all like teary eyed when we had this big family dinner where we had like a big picnic table set up in the middle of the room and all of us came and everybody cooked like potluck style and we had like one big last family dinner it was really cool that's awesome and uh and then in the meantime i tried very hard to in some cases like a like with devin palmer making introductions to the idea foundry and saying like hey devin's a great tenant you should totally take him he does great work that's in line with what you're doing and now he's a main tenant over there Mm -hmm. and uh kudos to you know Alex and his team for recognizing talent and taking them in and kudos to Devin for being a good dude that you want to be around. Right. And other people like, uh, Bryden Shuren ended up opening Brickbox studios with, uh, Dr. Mike Weissel. Dr. Mike was one of the tenants that was in Junction View before I was. And Bryden was the last tenant that I brought in before, uh, Junction View closed and the partnered the two of them up and they decided to open their own studio. So I tried to provide them any assistance I could on like, how do the finances work? What are the things that are needed to make a space, you know, function Mm -hmm. other people like Chris Sherman was opening 400 at the time. And I said, Hey, here's a list of artists that are going to need space. Right. uh, And then even as junction, View was coming down. I said to NRI, like, Hey, are you just mulling this over and going to throw this stuff away? And we went, we took every door, every track light, every toilet fixture, every electrical, anything that we could take. And some of that went to 400 and some of that went to taco cat. Mm -hmm. And then we sort of built the next space out of the rubble of the of, of Junction View. And so Taco Cat, also owned by NRI, same sort of plot of land. From the get-go, you knew it was going to be gone in five yeah. years. Yeah, NRI basically said, hey, for you and a few other people, mm-hmm. if you want to come over and move into this building, we have 5,000 square feet of space. Um, and so... There's a couple of people from Junction View that were the ones that always showed up to exhibitions and helped hang stuff, and they were always at meetings and, you know, participa- participating in all the things that we would do. And I just said, okay, how do we, how do we get to a point where we very intentionally choose artists that are all very active and mm-hmm. we work as a team? And we said, okay, everybody's going to put a little bit of money into this. We're going to fix the space up together as a team, and then. There, there will be nobody receiving any specific benefit from it. So uh, we set up a structure where the money that we paid in went directly to making sure that everybody had internet, making sure that we had a nice space. And then we collectively ran shows and um, it functioned really well for a, a while. And what do you attribute that to? I, I will say first that I think that it was a good team of people okay. that had experience working with each other and that at least understood each other's personalities. Mm -hmm. So where they didn't get along or if there were arguments that came up, at least you understood where that person was coming from. Right. Um, Mutual respect for each other's work was a big deal. I think that everybody in that building really knew that the artist next to them was making really great work and that you needed to step your game up to be able to, you know, keep it up. How much of it do you attribute the actual sort of everybody coming in knew what they were getting into? Yes. And so how much of it do you attribute to that of sort of being, forgive me for continuing to use the phrase, smart and open about what was about to happen? It's not like at Junction View where somebody's like, well, I've been here since the beginning. I'm going to do whatever I want. I never agreed to this. No, it was... It was actually even more intentional than just being smart and open. It was, we all signed agreements saying these are the things that we'll do. Did you have a business plan that people signed? 
Uh, yeah, it was a, a rules and regulations document that we, okay. co- we co-created it and we all agreed to it. We all signed it. And then when somebody would get out of line and say like, oh, I don't want to do this and be like, well, everybody signed this thing saying, so we either need to amend the agreement as a group and come up with a new understanding mm-hmm. or you need to do what you say you're going to do. And it never really got to that point. I mean, after a while, especially with the construction that was going on in Grandview Yard, it became really difficult for Taco Cat Cooperative to continue operating under that sort of commune feel where everybody was working. Some people got really burnt out. It became really hard to do shows. We had a really hard time running our business as a gallery there because the construction was just so overbearing. I mean, they shut the road down in front of our building. We weren't even allowed to drive to our own building for like six months. Okay. So trying to get people to come to shows, it was difficult. And that was a very hard experience. Mm -hmm. Um, We all had nice space to work for ourselves and we all got along with each other, but we also had a hard time just running, running it as a business. Some of that came, you know, like when we got into Blockfort, you know, we went and said, okay, we're going to have to put X amount of improvements into a building. We looked for a building that everybody could kind of cooperatively like chip in a little bit of money and fix up a space. And we had talked about a space in Grandview that seemed like it would work for that. Ultimately, when we found this building downtown, and we really wanted to be downtown, I wanted to get out of Grandview. I'd, I'd okay. lived, I had lived in the same house for 15 years in Grandview, and it was a great space. But I, I work with city council, and I work with uh, you know people around around the city, and I can't even vote for who the mayor is. Right. Know? And so I really wanted to be in Columbus. So when we found this building, we realized that it was going to take a good chunk of change. And when we went to the bank to try to get a loan. As Taco Cat Cooperative, they looked and they said, well, you've made no money because the money that we paid in went directly back out as rent and Well, and that was by design for you. Correct. Right. But we never thought longevity-wise, like, how do we build money in a bank? And, you know, because it was, hey, nobody's going to profit from this. That Mm -hmm. was the whole idea. And profit has always been sort of a no-no word in the the sort of DIY space, you know, oh, you're getting paid and I'm not getting paid kind of thing. Well. A lot of that goes into like, even at Taco Cat, where it was a very functional system, where there was a partnership, Mm -hmm. there was still a lot of times where I was burdened with a lot of the work. Um, And Junction View, Mike was there early on helping out. And then after a while, it was like, if if meetings were going to happen, I had to organize them. Or if an Agora was going to happen, I had to make sure that all the flyers got made and the mm-hmm. you know call for entries went out you know between those things and then my experience with wonderland where um you know we had tried to go and make a monster facility i that forgot had, about wonderland <laughs> yeah a monster facility that had everything in it and uh as much as people may view it as something that failed and never happened um, for me it was a giant learning experience and i learned all kinds of new rules and regulations and I learned how other spaces around the country worked. I did countless amounts of research on how spaces around the country have worked. And the one thing that I kept seeing over and over again is the success of spaces, especially early on, is Mm -hmm. largely attributed to the individual or individuals that were leading it and making it happen. Okay. And in some cases, those individuals that were making it happen ended up doing well, and that them doing well ended up leading to the space having an even longer projection of how it does well, as opposed to other spaces that burned out their leaders, like a, a lot of nonprofits do, mm-hmm. um, burn out their leaders, or the system falls apart, and when that leadership leaves, that the organization falls apart. Right. Let's speed up the timeline just a little bit and talk to me about how you, once you found the space for Blockfort, how you made the decision to say, 
say, okay, this is going to be mine. Mine and my wife's, mm-hmm. um, who should be here, but she's uh, helping run the North Market right now. So, right. Uh, I mean, it was really a conscious decision of like, okay, I'm 36. I've been doing this now for many years. I feel like I've given a lot to the community, and I don't feel like that has to stop. But if I'm going to be able to push it to the next level, we can't be arguing in a group about whose turn it is to buy toilet paper. Right. So by making it a for-profit business that I own, that I can still sort of be benevolent in how I lead the thing, and I don't have to be dictatorial. People are still allowed to you know, voice their opinions on how the space is run or what's needed. But there is ultimately a person. Right. Right. That I can say like, hey, some of the things that happened at Junction View were happening in this space. I would have no problem kicking a tenant out. Okay. You know, if I found out that somebody in this building was stealing something or throwing food over walls or something like that. That would be it. There's no need for a discussion. There's no need for a group of people to get together and and talk about it. And at Junction View, I had no authority. I had to wait for NRI to kick people out. Right. And at Taco Cat, we had to have like a group vote decision on everything. Okay. And so here it just kind of simplifies it and it makes it easier. There are rules and regulations that are basically the same rules and regulations we had at Taco Cat. Mm -hmm. And how do we take those rules and regulations that already seem to work for everybody and just have something that enforces them? Right. Hopefully that won't happen. I mean, there's not like a rule book on how that's going to play out or something. But if somebody's not using their space or they're, you know, sleeping in their space or something like that, I'm not going to like instantly kick them out like some dictator i'm gonna go and i'm gonna have a conversation hey are you all right are things going okay like do you need help hey you can't sleep here right have you right have you paid rent like oh you lost your job okay how do we work through that and i can i can be as benevolent as it makes sense for me and the fact that my wife and i took a loan out to you know help build the place out right but i don't have to worry about who who whose turn is it to wash the you know clean the bathroom it's my turn to clean the bathroom and if I don't want to do it, then I need to hire somebody to do it. And right. It's just more straightforward. And I think that actually has relieved a lot of the tensions from the tenants too, or at least I'd like to hope that it does. For instance, we used to have family dinner. We, okay. we still have family dinner. Um, it's just a way to once a month we get together, we eat food together and talk about what shows people have coming up, what things people are working on, what their needs are, how they can help each other out. It's just a way to get together once a month and see each other face to face. Well, that used to be our meeting where we would argue about whose turn it was to clean the bathroom or who's, who's running the next show. Now I cook for everybody and we come and we have fun and we talk and, and it's productive rather than reductive. It's friendly, right? It's, it's rather than people being combative and trying to argue over whose turn it is or to, you know, who owes what or whatever. Now it's just people getting together and talking and helping each other out. And I think that that's like a stress relief, um, or at least I'd like to think that. I also have the ability now with over the last, you know, however, 15 plus years of organizing things and doing things in town, like any of the connections that I've made, I feel totally fine bringing connections to the operation. So if there's a partnership that we want to have with a, with a different arts group and like there's a group in Oklahoma city that I talk to frequently, like Mm -hmm. rather than saying, Hey, let me see if this group will vote to have a show of yours. I can say like, Hey, I think this will be a good thing for the community and I am going to do this show. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a discussion. I see. Again, with 15 years of experience organizing things and negotiating with, you know, large corporations, what was the learning curve with getting this place going? Were were there things that you were like, oh, I have to worry about this now that you hadn't had to deal with before? I'll say that the learning curve was learning to trust myself. Okay. And saying that like, 
hey, I have 15 years of experience. I know what works and what doesn't. I just have to trust myself and tell myself, like, if a tenant is upset about something before we moved in, or if it seemed like a construction person was saying, like, oh, hey, we should build it this way. And I was saying, no, we should build it this way because I know how the artist is going to use it. Mm -hmm. I I just kind of had to trust myself. There's a lot of fear from both. did you experience like a crisis of confidence of like i don't know that like always i always okay. i mean i think that's part of what maybe makes me okay at this job is, okay you know like is that even with independence day and stuff like i'm always wondering am i doing the right thing am i am i helping people am i not helping people like as much as anybody may have a difference of opinion on this like i really do mean to try to help people mm-hmm. and I, I really, yes, I want to help myself. I, that's, you know, I can't help others if I can't help myself. But at the same time, I have to tell myself like, hey, you know what you're doing. You got this. And then the financial part, I'm, I have never been and I probably never will be a wealthy person. Okay. And how do you take what little money and resources you have and make the most of it? And by all means, a lot of this, this block fort has been built on goodwill of partners and friends, people that I've met in the community, people like uh, Brent Foley at Triad Architects and Blake Compton at Compton Construction have really done a lot to help artists in the community. And Mm -hmm. and then having new experiences like trying to decide a bank. You know, I had negative experiences with Huntington Bank where I go in and they, they don't understand what artists do, but a Heartland Bank and Kelly Law at Heartland Bank will sit down with you and say like, let me hear your story. Let me hear about your 15 years of experience. We don't know if this is a viable business necessarily, but we know that we trust you. Mm-hmm. And those are new hard hurdles. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always been somebody else that's been a, a training wheel. Josh Quinn and Andrew Dodson balancing me out with Wonderland, mm-hmm. all the tenants of Junction View, uh, the board, the boards that I've been on. Like there's always been a, a balance. And now the balance is my wife, which is a lot of pressure to put, <laughs> put on one person, but she's fortunately very good at it. Mm-hmm. And you know, she, She's dotted I's and crossed T's and I'm concepts and daydreams about how things can work. And I'm good at building things with my hands and she's good at building things with spreadsheets. And, okay. you know, those complementary skills, this wouldn't work if we didn't have those complementary skills. Okay. And, and I think that the tenants of the building know that too. They see that she's dotted I's and crossed T's. They know that she's the one that every time somebody buys a piece of artwork, they're going to get a handwritten letter from my wife that says, thank you for coming to Block Fort and buying artwork. Mm -hmm. At the same time, like I'm not going to let things get stale. I can dream up shows and I can work on projects in the alley, partnerships in the neighborhood, partnerships with organizations around town. Mm -hmm. You know, we're really excited that people are seeing what we're building and starting to say like, hey, I want to let's do something together. CCAD and CSCA and Creative Babes and all these groups that are, you know, they're good partners. And Mm -hmm. I want to see that community grow. Give us a rundown of the tenants that you have in the building right now. Well, there's my wife and I, I'm a painter. She's a quilter, knitter, photographer. Jamie Summer is known as the drag king jams dean Mm -hmm. Um, she's here making costumes and paintings lisa mcclimate who is a metal worker painter designer and her partner kat sheridan who is a ceramicist and kind of a conceptual artist Uh, logan schmidt and rachel schmidt logan is uh, an illustrator they are very involved in touring craft shows and things like that Uh, and then she does modeling larry doyle is uh, an illustrator painter uh, former member of Taco Cat. Lisa was a member of Taco Cat also. Christopher Burke, who is the fantastic, realistic urban landscape painter. 
Um, he's sort of our resident Wordsworth. Um, Chris Blaine, who is the art director for City Barbecue, um, who I met and worked with on Independence Day projects. And as a younger guy, got a lot of spirit and really excited to jump in and has been doing good work getting his studio fixed up and ready. Allison Rose Screen Printing moved from their Clintonville location uh, next to Studio 35 and then moved into our building. And that'll be kind of an experience uh, for them in terms of they've always been in a retail space. Yeah, not having that. So they'll have the opportunity, you know, even like right now they're on vacation and there's a stack of boxes in the corner over here. And as people need to pick things up, like we're here to help them deliver those even though they're out of town. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that they've had that before. And it's great because they're a daily presence. Every day they're here working, Mm -hmm. you know, nine to five, probably nine to 11 is more like it. But you really get get to be like partners and friends with people that are here a lot. Sherlila Jones is a designer, painter, um, does fantastic watercolors. We actually chose her We wanted to choose at least one person that we had never met before that we chose on the merit of their work. Okay. And her work was really, really strong. And then we met her and she was like really friendly. And then after we ended up signing her as a tenant, we found out that she is friends with all kinds of friends that we're friends with. And she worked at Zen Genius where I worked at Zen Genius at one point. She worked with Peabody Papers. And so she's been great. Marshall Shorts and David Butler uh, share a studio. Marshall is the, one of the founders of Creative Control Fest and is a fantastic graphic designer, um, does a lot of social advocacy in town. Um, David Butler is a sort of a a social issues painter, does uh, very large scale paintings, and he works at the Pazuti Collection. Lucy Shearer and Jake Mensinger are recent CCAD grads that uh, Lucy just did the last year's Independence Day poster. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of got a chance to meet them and work with them. And they're good kids. They got great spirit. They have hard work ethic. Um, Jake's been doing murals uh, around town. So he's kind of, you know, working on building his repertoire of large scale artworks. Uh, Catherine Bell Smith is a sculptor, a material artist, and she's been with us for a long time in Taco Cat and Junction View. She was in both. And then Megan and Rob Green. Megan is Stinky Bomb Soap, Craft and Outlaws, Midwest Craft Con. And her husband, Rob, is a mold maker who runs a company called The Fieldworks that molds uh, historical replicas and uh, tabletop gaming pieces. Mm -hmm. So that's our upstairs tenants. And then downstairs, uh, we're going to be working with a new design company called Freight. It's uh, three younger guys. We're working on designing the basement, and then we're interviewing a few additional tenants for the, the downstairs space. Great. It's packed house. Absolutely. One last thing. What advice do you have for somebody who's interested it has an idea for an event for a gallery for simply organizing a group of people like are there hard and fast rules or recommendations that you would make to them about how to get that going my biggest recommendation is the same recommendation i've been making for the last dozen years that there are people out there that are willing to help you and willing to give you information that the advantage of a city like columbus Um, as opposed to a New York or an L.A., is that because we are known as this big, small town, that we still have friendly neighbors that are willing to help out. And I, for one, dozens of times have provided advice to people that are starting spaces, sometimes unsolicited advice that they aren't really asking for. Right. But, you know, people want to help each other out. And I think that um, if you have the desire to run an event or a space, seek out the people that already run events and space that you like and ask them because they'll help you. Right. Well, and there's certainly things that you haven't thought of yet. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Definitely. Great. Adam, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite landlord. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a good week.